the occasional garden. Don't talk to me about town gardens, said Eleanor raspily, which means, of course, that I want you to listen to me for an hour or so while I talk about nothing else. What a nice-sized garden you've got, people said to us when we first moved here. What I suppose they meant to say was what a nice-sized site for a garden we'd got. As a matter of a fact, the size is all against it. It's too large to be ignored altogether and treated as a yard, and it's too small to keep giraffes in. You see, if we could keep giraffes or reindeer or some other species of browsing animal there, we could explain the general absence of vegetation by reference to the fauna of the garden. You can't have Wapti and Darwin tulips, you know, so we didn't put down any bulbs last year. And as it is, we haven't got the Wapti, and the Darwin tulips haven't survived the fact that most of the cats of the neighborhood hold a parliament in the center of the tulip bed. That rather forlorn-looking strip that we intended to be a border of alternating geranium and spiria has been utilized by the cat parliament as a division lobby. Snap divisions seem to have been rather frequent of late, far more frequent than the gerium blooms are likely to be. I shouldn't object so much to ordinary cats, but I do complain of having a congress of vegetarian cats in my garden. They must be vegetarians, my dear, because whatever ravages they may commit among the sweet peed seedlings, they never seem to touch the sparrows. There are always just as many adult sparrows in the garden on Saturday as they were there were on Monday, not to mention newly-fledged additions. There seems to have been an irreconcilable difference of opinion between sparrows and providence since the beginning of time as to whether a crocus looks best standing upright with its roots in the earth or in a recumbent position with its stem neatly severed. The sparrows always have the last word in the matter, at least in our garden they do. I fancy that Providence must have originally intended to bring in an amending act, or whatever it's called, providing either for less destructive sparrow or a more destructive crocus. The one consoling point about our garden is that it's not visible from the drawing room or the smoking room, so unless people are dining or lunching with us, they can't spy out the nakedness of our land. That is why I'm so furious with Gwenna Portington, who has practically forced herself on me for lunch Wednesday next. She heard me offer the Paluti girl lunch if she was shopping on the day, and, of course, she asked if she might come too. She's only coming to gloat over my barangled and flowerless borders and to sing the praises of her own detestably overcultivated garden. I'm sick of being told it's the envy of the neighborhood. It's like everything else that belongs to her. Her cat, her dinner parties, even her headaches. They're all superlative. No one else has ever had anything like them. When her eldest child was confirmed, it was such a sensational event, according to her account of it, that one almost expected questions to be asked about it in the House of Commons. Now she's coming on purpose to stare at my few miserable pansies and the gaps in my sweet pea border and to give me a glowing full-length description of the rare and sumptuous blooms in her rose garden. 
My dear Eleanor, said the Baroness, you would save yourself all this heartburning and a lot of gardener's bills, not to mention sparrow anxieties, by simply playing an annual description, the OOSA. Never heard of it, said Eleanor. What is it? The Occasional Oasis Supply Association, said the Baroness. It exists to meet cases exactly like yours, cases of backyards that are no practical use for gardening purposes, but are required to bloom into decorative scenic backyards at seated intervals when a luncheon or dinner party is contemplated. Supposing, for instance, you have people coming to lunch at 1.30, you just ring up the association at about 10 o'clock the same morning and say, lunch garden. That's all the trouble you have to take. By 12.45, your yard is carpeted with a strip of velvety turf, a hedge of lilac or red may, or whatever happens to be in season. As a background, one or two cherry trees in bloom, and cl clumps of heavy-flowered road chitons filling in the odd corners. In the foreground, you have a blaze of carnations or Shirley poppies or tiger lilies in full bloom. As soon as lunch is over and your guests have departed, the garden departs also. It's all the cats and Christum can sit in council in our yard without causing you a moment's anxiety. If you have a bishop or an antiquary or something of that sort is coming to lunch, you just mention the fact when you are ordering the garden and you get an old world plasticure with clipped yew hedges and a sundial and hollycocks and perhaps a mulberry tree and borders of sweet williams and sentry bells and an old-fashioned beehive or two tucked away in a corner. Those are the ordinary lines of supply that the Oasis Association undertakes, but by Paying a few guineas a year extra, you're entitled to its emergency EON service. What on earth is an EON service? It's just like a conventional signal to indicate special occasions, like the incursion of Gwenna Partington. It means you've got someone coming to lunch or dinner whose garden is alleged to be the envy of the neighborhood. Yes, explained Eleanor with some excitement. And what happens then? Something that sounds like a miracle out of the Arabian Nights. Your backyard becomes a vulturous with pomegranate and almond trees, lemon groves, and hedges of flowering cactus, dazzling banks of azaleas, marble basin fountains in which chestnut and white pond herons step daintily amid exotic water lilies, while golden peasants strut about on alabaster terraces. The whole effect is rather suggests the idea that Province and Norman Wilkins have dropped mutual jealousies and collaborated to produce a background for an open-air Russian ballet. In point of fact, it is merely the background to your luncheon party. If there is any kick left in Gwenna Partington, or whoever your EON guest of the moment may be, mention carelessly that your climbing Perella is the only one in England since the one at Chatsworth died last winter. There isn't such a thing as a climbing perilla, but Gwen Partington and her kind don't usually know one flower from another without prompting. Quick, said Eleanor, the address of the association. Gwen Partington did not enjoy her lunch. It was a simple yet elegant meal, excellently cooked and daintily served, but the piquant sauce of her own conversation was notably lacking. She had prepared a long succession of logistic 
comments on the wonders of her own town garden with its unrivaled effects of horticulture magnificence, and behold, her theme was shut in on every side by the luxant hedge of Siberian berries that formed a glowing background to Eleanor's bewildering fragrant fairyland. The pomegranate and lemon trees, the terrace fountain, where gold carp slithered and wriggled among the roots of gorgeous-hued irises, the banked masses of exotic bloom, the pagoda-like enclosure, where Japanese sandbaggers disported themselves, all contributed to take away Gwenona's appetite and moderate her desire to talk about gardening. I can't say I admire the climbing perella, she observed shortly. And anyway, it's not the only one of its kind in England. I happen to know of one in Hampshire. How gardening is going out of fashion. I suppose people haven't the time of it. Time for it nowadays. Although, altogether, it was one of Eleanor's most successful luncheon parties. It was distinctly an unforeseen catastrophe that Guana should should have burst into the household four days later at lunchtime and made her way unbidden into the dining room. I must tell you that my Elaine has a watercolor sketch adapted by the Leighton Art Guild. It's to be exhibited at their summer exhibition at Hacken Gallery. It will be the sensation of the moment in the art world. Hello, what on earth has happened to your garden? It's not there. Suffragists, said Eleanor promptly. Didn't you hear about it? They broke in and made hay of the whole thing in about ten minutes. I was so heartbroken at the havoc that I had the whole place cleared out. I shall have it laid out again on more elaborate lines. That, she said to the Baroness afterwards, is what I call having an emergency brain.